So today is the day of Pentecost, and I'll get to that in a moment, what that actually means. But some of you, it's very likely, know that today is the day of Pentecost. Some of you likely do not. And that is because Easter, which I say regularly, uh, at least right around Easter, Easter is a very high-profile Christian holiday. But there's a slew of things that happened after Easter in the Bible that often don't get as much attention. Last week, for example, was the day that the Christian church celebrated the ascension of Jesus. And today is the day that we recognize the coming of the Holy Spirit, who is a central member of God's Trinity, but also a central agent in how God is working in the world. And over the years, and with increased sort of visibility, frequency, it's become very common for we as Christians to see some type of a developing trend that's not necessarily a great one in our lives. Some folks really have uh, an understanding of the person of God. Like, for example, if you were to ask the average person on the street, is there a God or do you believe in a God? You'd get varying opinions there. But the name God is sort of an established one, both in the church and certainly outside of the church. If you were to mention the name Jesus without question, everybody knows his name. They might not affirm who he is, the way the Christian church does. But nonetheless, he's sort of an undeniable figure in the history of the world. Same with, with church folk. We sort of know who Jesus is. We, you know, prayerfully and hopefully are reading about him in the scripture. So we're more common with that name, much like Jesus. It's more common to the tongue. But when you begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, there's often a very steep decline in our understanding of who he is and what he does. In fact, I've found it very common over the years for people to refer to the Holy Spirit as like an it or a thing. The King James Version, which you know, we don't use here, but if you've been in the faith a long time, you probably have some experience with it. The King James Version refers to the Holy Spirit as the Holy... Anybody got a King James? The Holy Ghost. So you know that. And when you think about ghosts today in our world, most people are not thinking about the description of the Holy Spirit in the King James Version. They're thinking about movies like Ghostbusters, all these paranormal shows that we see on TV. So there's a broad diversity in our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, if we have one at all. And that is something that I want to begin addressing today in a very timely manner, since we are in this season of the life of the, the historical church, where the Holy Spirit is really talked about. Jesus sends him to earth for a very particular purpose. So in the minds of many Christians, and even if I'm being honest myself at times, it's very easy for us to sort of benevolently neglect the central role the Holy Spirit has in God's economy. He is just as important to what God is doing in our lives in the world as Jesus. God has made it that way. And we have this really sort of big problem that we're dealing with here. In the Bible, nothing happens in the Christian faith, the New Testament particularly, without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Yet in many of our minds and our hearts, we have a, a, a juvenile or maybe not even an understanding at all about who he is and what he does. And I hope you can see why this is such a serious concern. And so if you look at the history of the modern church, this is actually something that's brought up pretty regularly now. And I have said this here before, but I think it's worth noting again that you have a lot of folks that really matter in the kingdom today that are beginning to write. They're making this correlation with what seems to be an, uh, an often numb church in America, some, sort of like spiritually numb at times. Not every church, but what I'm saying here is there's a lot of folks who are following Jesus, yet they're deeply disconnected from this vibrancy of life that Jesus promises us. And there is, I think, something very worth thinking about here. What is, if at all, and I think there is a deep connection here, what is the connection between a lack of understanding about the way God works in our lives at this very moment, through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit, what kind of benevolent neglect in our lives towards the Spirit could actually create a life that is not necessarily as vibrant and as full as God wants it to be? 
And think about this in a, in a more substantial way, not just in our own lives, but in the way we do the work of the church in the world, in the way we bring the gospel of Jesus to our neighbors. And the point in case in all of this is that today is the day that we as Christians celebrate Pentecost. The day, Acts 1-8 tells us this, the day that God sent the Holy Spirit into the world. It as, it's equally as important a day as Easter in the Christian faith. But unlike Easter, which we celebrated last month, you will never see, at least in the 20 years I've been pastoring, I've not seen it. You've never seen, I've never seen throngs of Christians showing up in church on Sunday because we're celebrating the day of Pentecost. There's likely not a big family picnic after here. And I mean, even we're guilty of it. We're like, we serve breakfast every Easter and there is nothing here but communion. That's a good kind of nourishment, but not, you know, substantive food. So there's this different emphasis point here where the Christian world celebrates this one central event, the resurrection, critical and important. But then we forget all the stuff that Jesus did afterwards. And so for a great many people today, maybe even some of us in this room, today is likely just another Sunday. And I don't mean that in a denigrating way, but I mean we might not recognize the significance of what this Sunday represents because of what I just mentioned here, a benevolent neglect and possibly misunderstanding of the role and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I hope to, at least at some degree this morning and over these weeks that follow, to spend some time addressing who the Holy Spirit is and why he matters in our lives. And maybe you're sitting here asking why. Because this is the day that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come to earth, at least historically, it's the day we recognize that. And he told us after his resurrection and his ascension and until his return, that's a key statement. Until Jesus' return, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is what he is doing that God has, he sent him to the world to help us stay connected to his son Jesus and to continue the mission that Jesus began in our lives. This is an act promised by Jesus and brought about by God. And it is central to our understanding of the Christian faith. If you want to know Jesus deeply and practice the Christian faith in a way that honors God and causes your life to flourish, this is foundational. And it is also foundational to the era of the church, meaning that is the era the Bible says we're in right now. We are no longer in the Old Testament. We are now in the New Testament. And the New Testament says that the way, much like Israel in the Old Testament, the way God is working in the world at this present moment is through a band of people he calls believers, men and women who choose to follow Jesus Christ. And he has set us apart to be his hands and feet in this world, to know God deeply and to help others know God just as deeply. And we cannot do that without the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. Simply put, finding Jesus, growing in Jesus, and engaging in fruitful ministry for Jesus in the world is all empowered by the presence of his Holy Spirit. Simply, simply put, we cannot fulfill the role of Christianity, the identity God has given us in Jesus, without knowing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can make attempts at it. We can certainly hit some of the markers but the way God calls, or calls us to flourish in this world is through this dynamic understanding and relationship with Jesus, his Holy Spirit. That is how God's goodness and grace is manifest in our life and certainly manifested in the lives of other people. And that really is the only truth I want to share with you today. I have one that I want to talk about. And it sort of gives us a framework for what we read in John 14. I'll reread that here in a moment. And what is fulfilled in Acts 1.8. Jesus has promised to send the Spirit to the world and the fulfillment of it. Jesus gave you his Holy Spirit. He gave me his Holy Spirit so that we could continue the work he began in the world. That is the number one reason the Spirit has come to earth. What Jesus has done, what he did on earth, he sends his Spirit to the earth so it can continue to be done through us until he returns. 
And I want to reread John 14, just two verses, 15 through 16 for you. Speaking to his disciples, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, another advocate, he says here, to help you and be with you forever. So we get this profound promise. This has sort of been the theme that we've been using post-Easter here. We've been looking at what happens at Easter or after Easter, and we're looking at all the places that Jesus has talked about what was going to happen. In other words, these prophecies are fulfilled. These promises have been completed. And here we have a very significant one, the role of the Holy Spirit. And in the Bible, in the Scripture, there are a lot of descriptions that are used to describe the Holy Spirit. You even heard some of them here during worship. Comforter, helper, there's all of these ideas. But the one we're going to talk about today is advocacy. The fact that one of the most common themes in the New Testament for the Holy Spirit, what he does in our lives, is that he advocates for us. And I want to share with you something that I shared with you a couple of years ago, because I know you remember it very intently. The Greek word John uses here to describe the word Holy Spirit in our lives is paraclete. Okay? It's a very significant word in the New Testament. It's a word that, much like many of the Greek words that trans, are translated to make the English Bible what we have today, it's a combination of two words. And those words are para and kaleo. And the word para simply means to come alongside. The word kaleo means to speak the truth. So the, the most basic definition we have of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is that he is, he is of God and God. And his main responsibility is to come alongside us in life and speak God's truth to us in life. You can see this in English words too. The best one that I think sort of reflects the idea behind what this word is communicating to us in the Greek is the word paramedic. Everyone in this room knows what a paramedic is. And if you've ever experienced the care from one, you've, you have a more profound understanding of this word. A paramedic is a person, para, who comes alongside a person who is injured or sick. And they then attempt to help that person recover the medic portion of it by administering medical treatments. So a paramedic is a person who aids the sick by administering something to them, the modern world of medicine. And that's the idea behind this word parakaleo. So Jesus' literal promise to us here is one that affects the flesh, it affects, affects the body, but the word used here is meant to talk about what Jesus does in our souls. The same idea is present here. The Holy Spirit is somebody who comes into our lives, who aids in our lives, and helps the spiritual side of our lives to stay deeply connected to Jesus. He is the reason we can you know, have vibrancy and health in Christ. He is truly a helper. And what the Holy Spirit does is he helps us. These are broad categories with, with tons of connections to them. But the Holy Spirit comes to earth and helps us to not only find Jesus. The Bible teaches us he is influential, essential in us understanding who Jesus is. He is essential in us growing in Jesus. He's essential in our salvation, our sanctification, growing in Jesus. And he is essential in our desire to help other men and women know and grow in the grace of Jesus. He also empowers the ministry that God sets us apart to do in life. And every single person who is in Jesus has been given a specific gift or ability, some of you multiple gifts and abilities, to minister in the same way that Jesus has ministered to you in the lives of men and women who love God and in the lives of men and women who are very far from God. And so the main way the Holy Spirit helps us to grow into the image of Jesus is by coming alongside our lives. He guides our steps and he is constantly calling the truth of God out to our lives. And the, the language John uses here is he says he helps us to keep God's commands. The language we like to use in restoration is he helps us to understand more deeply the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He helps us to understand who God is and what he has done in our lives. And that is then translated into who God has made us through Jesus and what he is trying to do in our lives. That is the truth of the gospel. God is perpetually working in our lives. He is healing us and encouraging us and challenging us and causing us to grow and challenging our minds and our hearts in ways that we probably were not even aware of were going to be challenged until the presence of God came into us through Jesus and actually began leading us in a direction to make us more like Jesus. And that's what makes this word sort of hard to understand. Paraclete is a word that has a lot of sort of meanings connected to it. You know, when we say he comes alongside you and I and helps us to grow in Jesus' gospel, man, the implication of that is substantial. And so one of the challenges with understanding the word paraclete is that it doesn't really have a sort of a, per, a, a perfect or pound-for-pound pound equivalent in our language. Even think about a paramedic. The medic portion of that is substantial. They do a billion things when they're caring for a person, but it's sort of summarized in the word medic. And so because of this, it is very important that we at least have an essential understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. If you are reading from a different translation than the one we are using, we tend to use the NIV here, or if you've read the Bible a lot, especially in the Gospel of John, you might have read words like he's an encourager or a comforter or a helper. There's a lot of sort of applications. And what I like to say is the Holy Spirit is sort of like a prism. Depending on the way you turn him, like look at him, God uses his spirit to minister and to care for us in varying ways, depending on what the need in our life is. Because he is alongside us at all times and speaking that truth into our lives. And the side I want to look at today is simply advocate, at least for the remainder of our time this morning. Because the key to understanding who the Holy Spirit is in your life is rooted in understanding what an advocate is. That's what coming alongside you and I means. It means God's Spirit is for us and with us in all ways. Now the first memory I have of advocacy happened in my life when I was right around 10 years old. And uh, we were living in New York and Brooklyn. And at that time, my younger brother was playing baseball for the, uh, you know, we grew up in a, a kind of like a traditional Italian Catholic household. And my son, because this is what a little, um, excuse me, my brother, what a good little Catholic kid does is he plays on the church baseball team. And so that's what we did. We hardly ever went to church, but we never missed a baseball game. And that's sort of true with Christianity today also. But uh, I'm sorry, unless that's you, think about that. So. <laughs> So what happened is, is, you know, my brother was playing ball and I, along with all the friends uh, of the brothers of uh, all the people that were playing, we got drugged to these games and these practices. So there were people I knew from my neighborhood and then kids we met that we didn't even know because we were all sort of like, you know, drugged to these practices and the games. And so the practices were held at a park that was adjacent to a na the neighborhood I grew up in. And it was an interesting park, one of the only ones I had seen that looked like this. There was a lot of... Uh, baseball stuff like fields tons of them and then there was a huge golf course connected to them so you literally could like seamlessly weave your way through baseball fields and and a huge you know a huge golf course and it was sort of interesting what happened here because what what we used to do is we would leave the practices when my brother was playing and we would run around portions of the golf course because they had these patches of trees, like 20 and 30 of them at a time, that at that stage in life we thought it was the woods. You know, there was really a lot of concrete where I grew up. And so we would run around in these little areas, these patches of greenery, and it was tons of fun. And so one Saturday afternoon, we were playing in the woods, my friends and I, and we noticed something that we hadn't seen before. We noticed that there, were, there was a golf ball, and then as we began to look, 
look around, there were golf balls everywhere. It was like a graveyard uh, for golf balls. And, you know, we were 10 and anything we found was of value. And so we started like picking up these golf balls, like hand over fist. It was like a feeding frenzy. We were picking them up and shoving them into our pockets. It was like a gold rush for a 10 year old kid, you know, at least all of us at that point. And we did this for like 20 minutes and then we were interrupted. Now, it's a bit of a running joke here that I don't particularly care for golf. I've played it a few times with all of you because I love you, but golf is not like my jam. And I want to give you some insight into why I've had like, for whatever reason, I've had a slew of these really negative experiences with golf growing up, and it's made me the man I am. And in many ways, it's keeping me from being the man I should be because every other pastor I know plays golf, but I can't do it. So maybe we should play golf and you can correct that in me. But this was the first experience I had had with golf. Okay, so we were in the woods and all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, this grown man dressed in apparel I'd never seen before, holding a thing, a big metal stick, did not know what it was, walked up to us and started belittling us. I mean, he was berating us. He was yelling at us in crazy, crazy ways, like threatening to hurt us. And we had no idea what was going on. Later on in life, I would come to know this person was a golfer. I put all that together when I was more, more grown. But we were standing in the woods, fearing for our lives at that moment. And what happened was next was crazy. I, I'm putting two and two together here, but he was screaming at us. And I think what he thought was happening was we took, he, he hit a ball in the woods. And I think he thought we were like some hoodlum kids stealing his golf ball. But I mean, we had like pockets filled with them. So maybe we did take his ball, but it was not intentional. And now I think like it was in the woods. What does it matter? He should have acted like that didn't happen, right? I mean, that's an embarrassing stroke. I know that much about golf. And so we were sort of rough and tumble, but we were fearing for our lives. I mean, think about this. We're 10 year old. 10 years old, we're in what we think are the woods at that time in life with a strange man holding a big stick screaming at us, twice our size. And so at that moment, something happened. I remember thinking, my dad, who's like this old school Italian disciplinarian, he still is this way today. Like I was trying to think like, I'm not even gonna get to get threatened by my dad today for taking this guy's golf ball because this guy's gonna like leave us in the woods very badly hurt. And this is when it happened. We were standing in the woods fearing for our lives and an advocate showed up. I mean, it was, it was the craziest thing ever. Out of nowhere, my brother's baseball coach, to this day, I only know him as Coach Eddie. That's what we called him all the time. He walked up into the woods and he was dressed in garb, I understood. He was wearing a baseball uniform and he was holding a metal stick I also knew how to use called a bat. And he was slapping the bat on his hand, screaming at the golfer. I guess what happened is, is the ruckus was so loud that they heard it at the baseball field. And so he ran into the woods, hitting his hand with a bat saying, Hey, tough guy, why don't you mess with kids, uh, you know, like a grown man? Why are you messing with kids that are half your size and a third of your age? And in an equally loud way, he began yelling at this guy. And eventually, the guy settled down. It was like a scene from The Godfather. And within moments, <laughs> this, this guy just got up and left. And I had the balls in my pocket. And I was thinking, I hope one of these is yours because you're a really mean, <laughs> mean man. Right? So he left. And it was, it was, it was really something amazing uh, because we didn't think much about that that day, and I didn't even think much about it that day. But it was sort of one of my favorite childhood memories. It was a great example of advocacy, meaning somebody came in, Coach Eddie, right at this point. Advocacy simply means somebody comes in and does for you something that you actually cannot do for yourselves. And that moment in time, we were utterly powerless. I mean, that could have been a very serious situation and in many ways was a very serious situation. But he came in and became truly a defender for us in that moment. Now, I know what you're probably thinking right now. You're probably saying like, 
did he just use an illustration about the Holy Spirit and connect it to the Godfather? And what I want to say is sort of yes. So give me a, give me a couple more minutes here to, to flesh this out about advocacy, okay? So advocacy simply means by connecting these dots. We want to look at two questions that, that address what advocacy is, and I hope it will sort of make sense about how anytime somebody comes to our aid and becomes a power for us when we are powerless, it is an advocate. And this is what Jesus uses, the, the language he uses, to describe the Holy Spirit. So the first question that is important to ask, ask is why does Jesus call the Holy Spirit our advocate? What is the significance of this word? Because it's the foundational one that influences everything else. An advocate, simply put, is a person who brings a power to a person who is powerless. If you look at the global orphan crisis, which is a critical concern for our church, the reason we, we cherish this ministry my family has adopted is because you become a voice for somebody in a system who is without a voice. That's what advocacy is. You begin to defend and care for those who cannot defend or care for themselves. The Bible literally uses that language, defending and caring for the fatherless, for widows and orphans. It talks about them being in a very vulnerable position in life. And the same is sort of true about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And the language used here is somewhat legal. Advocacy is a term that today we sort of relegate to, to the courtrooms. And if you look at a lot of the language in the New Testament, that is how Jesus describes the work of the kingdom. We hear things like, you know, being pardoned of our sins, being, being forgiven. There's sort of a legal declaration that we believe takes place when Jesus forgives us of our sins. And so it's in this context that Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit coming alongside us and on our behalf, guiding us and advocating for us in ways that we cannot advocate for ourselves in. The term is somewhat judicial, and it's from this setting that we get a better understanding. Think about this. Everybody knows Easter. We all know the cross. But Jesus says you can't experience the power of Easter without my spirit. I mean, there is a deep, deep connection here. He doesn't just give us Easter. He then gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can fulfill the promise of Easter. He can bring that about in our lives. Our sanctification, our followership of Jesus is deeply connected to the cross. We cannot follow Jesus without the cross. You have to go through it. But then we cannot follow Jesus well without the Holy Spirit. And so perhaps the clearest example of what we have for an advocate today in our world is what a lawyer does. I'll be brief here, but on one hand, a lawyer becomes a voice for a person in a very large legal system. They are your representative. That person's words are your words. And a lawyer simply guides and directs you speaks on your behalf, listens to what you're dealing with in life, and then becomes your advocate in the courtroom. That's what an advocate does. And there are multiple examples of it in our world today. And I want you to keep that in mind, the coming alongside piece of it. And with that in mind, let's address the second question. Because Jesus actually tells us here that there has been an advocate that precedes the Holy Spirit. He says that I'm going to send you another advocate. That's what he says in John 14. And so, who is the first advocate that Jesus is talking about when he refers to the Holy Spirit being another advocate? It's important to understand this. The context here makes it pretty easy to answer this question. The first advocate is the person speaking here. And that's what we just celebrated with Easter a month and a half ago. From God's perspective, there has always been a paraclete in our life. There's always been a, a person who is helping us to find God. In the Old Testament, it was this way too. God has never given us a command or called us to be something and then disconnected his presence from us. Through both Testaments, we're focusing on the New Testament today, obviously. God has brought alongside us the power of his presence in a way that helps us to understand more fully the truth of Jesus, who, who he is and what he wants us to be. And this is crucial for you and I to know because there's so many implications 
to the humility connected to embracing God's advocate. You know, it puts us in a place of humility when we have to recognize that we are, we are broken before God and sinful. And that it is because of Jesus' redemption, his cross, that, that humility can actually be turned into something very powerful. God can create a, a humble confidence in us. When we recognize the need for advocacy, we need a savior. That's what we say at Easter. Then what happens there is God does something profound in our, in our lives. And he removes the guilty, the, the guilty verdict of sin. So God gives us the first advocate in Jesus Christ, this spiritual advocate. And this is a, re- a very real grace because God demands justice and righteousness. And it is only through Jesus that we can be forgiven of all of the needs and the demands of justice and righteousness. From little white lies to human genocide, our mistakes as a people, humanity, they had to be dealt with. And the first advocate, Jesus, does that because of his profound love for us and his faithfulness to his Father in heaven. He redeems us. He offers salvation to those who want to know Jesus. So the gospel teaches us this very profound thing that that Jesus redeems us from sin when we look to the cross. But he doesn't just redeem us from sin. He also helps us to, to overcome sin in our everyday lives. That doesn't mean we never sin. What I'm saying is, is God doesn't, he wants us to grow in an image of holiness in him. And so he sends alongside us an advocate to help us become more like him. Listen to how 1 John 2, 1 describes this. My dear children, speaking of Jesus, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And here's why knowing this advocacy stuff is super important, especially as we begin to think about the communion table. The communion table is the evidence of advocacy. It is the evidence of God saying, listen, there is a, there's a different way. We drink of the cup and we eat this bread as a deep and serious reminder of God's forgiveness in our lives. And I want you to know that forgiveness is not just present at the cross. Forgiveness is present in our lives when we fail God post-cross. Thus the nature of the advocate, Jesus. So knowing this advocacy stuff is incredibly important when it comes to our followership of Jesus Christ. And getting a better understanding of why the Holy Spirit is so central to our life and faith in Jesus is equally as important. Because we cannot fully understand the nature and the work of the first advocate. You, You cannot understand all that Jesus has done for you if you disconnect yourself from the presence of the Spirit in your life. His job is to help us more fully understand everything Jesus did and is doing in our lives. The cross is sort of like so simple, a child can understand it. I mean, the Bible speaks of it this way. You can literally know that God loves you and declares forgiveness upon you when you receive Christ. It is in one sense that simple. But the complexities of applying that to the rest of your life can often be very complicated when we struggle with shame or guilt or fear or whatever the emotions are that come out of of an unredeemed life and even the struggles of the redeemed life. What the power of the second advocate does for us is helps us to more deeply understand the, the nature of the cross in everyday life so that we don't just see Easter as a singular event. We don't just see, you know, all of these holidays that we celebrate throughout the year in Christianity as one-time things. There is a deep daily connection God desires us to experience from them all. And we realize fully the power of the resurrection in our lives, the power to overcome by recognizing that we don't overcome alone. The first advocate sends the second advocate to help us never forget what the first advocate did. And so what we learn here is that the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is directly tied to the work and the power of Jesus. All of the promises Jesus made us while on earth 
are being fulfilled in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to do this work until Jesus' return. That's why it's important that we know about Jesus' ascension. He goes to the cross, is resurrected. He leaves earth and sends his Holy Spirit roughly seven weeks after his, his ascension. Something profound happens. Something significant happens when the Holy Spirit is sent to earth. And the significance is the main idea I talked about today. The work Jesus started on earth, the work of forgiveness and redemption and grace and spreading the goodness of God's kindness to the world, all that work that Jesus did, all that work that Jesus set apart men and women to do, the work God has set us apart to do, happens today because the Holy Spirit is still guiding us. He is still alongside us. And that's why I say it's important to to recognize the disconnect between not knowing the work of the Holy Spirit and how that can often breed a numb or lifeless form of faith. It really is disconnecting yourself from the power outlet of God's goodness and kindness. And so contrary to how some people believe, the Holy Spirit is actually very clearly defined in the Bible. Whether you don't know who the Holy Spirit is at all, or maybe you have some, you know, some, some definitions that might be not necessarily the greatest biblically. Wherever you are, there's no judgment in this. What I'm saying is, is as a body, we want to move forward with some clarity in this. The Holy Spirit is not a random thing in the Bible. He is a very clear person, directly responsible for us coming to Jesus and changing us into the image of Jesus. And that should encourage us because the plans of God for the world and our lives, he again offers us himself to get them done. He doesn't just give us the cross and leave. He didn't give us Jesus and leave. He is always giving himself to us and giving himself to us more fully. And that is another evidence of God's love for us through the power of the Spirit. And so we should be alarmed when we see or maybe experience a benevolent misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. We should desire to understand how he works. In fact, this teaching shows us that God's Holy Spirit, his most significant responsibility is to glorify God by pointing people to the presence of Jesus. That's the greatest command we can keep. The greatest command in scripture is what? Love? That's right. So when we even think about the commands, that's what we're talking about here. The number one command that God desires from us is that we cast our affection upon him. And I'm telling you that it's got to be much harder to do that if we don't actually have God aid us in that process. And once we know this, we are well on our way to understanding why Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit. And I want to say again, you can't fully live as God has designed you or me to live without the power and the presence of Jesus' Holy Spirit in your life. Because according to Jesus, he is the person until Jesus is coming again that is working in the same way Jesus did on earth. In fact... Time will dictate in the weeks that follow if we have time to get to this. But Jesus actually says when the Spirit comes, he will do greater, th- he will do greater things through the power of his Spirit on earth than were done when he was actually on earth. That's pretty profound. What that means is there's this exponential ability now. It's no longer Jesus with a group of men and women in a certain area of the world. The, the power of the, the Spirit through Jesus Christ lives in every Christian now, around the world, past, present, and future, which means we're like a legion of men and women around the world filled with the Spirit of God who can now do amazing things for God's, good, God's economy. That's what he means by greater things. It's not that Jesus did, Jesus did amazing things, don't get me wrong, but Jesus then releases those amazing things into us so we can continue the work of healing, the work of forgiveness, the good work of the cross in the world. We don't, we don't have the ability to offer the pardon for sin, but we have the ability to communicate the message with authority. That's what the Holy Spirit tells us. 
That's what he does in us. We can, with authority, communicate the message of forgiveness to the world because that message is in our hearts and we have certainly been set apart to communicate it to others. So his spirit in us is significant. And so as we wrap up now, I just want to say, do not leave this place today with a misunderstanding of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Over these next weeks, we'll continue to unpack this. But for today, I want you to just think about one thought, one idea as we pray and move into the communion table. Ask yourself if you really understand who the Holy Spirit is in your life. Ask yourself if you, if you have a bearing on why God sent him to the earth 2,000 years ago. There's meaningful purpose in that. And as we move into response time and the communion table, you think about this. It is through the power of God's Spirit that we will connect to God in a very profound way right now with, with each other. In other words, it is his Spirit in us that binds everything that is happening in this room together today. Because Jesus is in every one of us right now. He is in this room. And we will connect with him in a significant way. We will remember him in the way that he has set us apart to by going to the table. This was his command, one of the ones that we keep some 2,000 years ago. So ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you about his Holy Spirit? And equally as importantly, what will you do about it as we leave this place this morning?